Good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. I am Trey, and I'm here covering for Mac, and we are walking through the book of Joshua together. I hope that you guys read chapters 5 through 8 yesterday, and I pray that it encouraged you. Again, if you got questions, uh, put them in the comments, or you can message me, and I'll do what I can to get you an answer. Uh, We are in chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12 today as we are working through the book of Joshua. Uh, We left off in chapter 8 as they had gone in and defeated uh, the people in Ai. Um, So let me give you a bit of a visual representation of what's happening. Israel is moving westward from the wilderness, um, kind of on the, the eastern side of the land of Israel as we know it. They cross over the Jordan River immediately battle Jericho, and as they move into the land, they're going to turn and come south. Uh, the, the purpose of that, it's really brilliant military strategy that the Lord is instructing Joshua, and Joshua's leading the men to do. They divide the land in half so that the people can't come as a united force against them. So they come in, and in chapter uh, 10, they're going to go south, In chapter 11, they're going to move north and they're going to take the land. That's the whole first half of the book of Joshua is taking the land. And as I read through this section, the thing that God really impressed upon my heart was that uh, in order to do what God had called Israel to do, they had to do it with God. Um, Let me put that in terms for you and I today. God has saved us, and we're called now into a life of worship and a life of being conformed into the image of Christ. Theologically, we call that sanctification. It's an ongoing process by which we grow in grace and we live on mission with God. And what I want to focus on in this text specifically is how that process of sanctification is a cooperative process. So let's think about salvation in general. Salvation is a work of the Lord. We trust in what God has done for us through Christ. He set this whole thing up through the sacrificial system uh, and then had Jesus be our lamb, which is why John says, behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Uh, He set this whole thing up. It is the work of God that we trust in. So let me give you some theological terms that, that kind of happen experientially all at once to us, but they're sequential in the way the scriptures outline them. So the scriptures talk about the election of God. And I'm not going to get into that because it's a divisive uh, conversation, but we just start there when you think about the things that happen. God knew one way or another, whether you see that is it's God's choice or if you see it as God's knowledge, he knew before the foundation of the world is what we're told in the scriptures. The next thing that you see is the gospel call. Romans says, how can they um, how can they believe if they don't hear the gospel proclaimed? So someone is preaching the good news. And the next thing that happens in that sequence is what's called regeneration, the spirit's breathing of life. And then comes conversion. Paul says that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. You also have justification. Uh, We understand this. It's a legal term. Uh, Maybe the bigger idea here is penal substitutionary atonement, meaning um, my sin is atoned for by Jesus's um, sacrifice in my place, his sacrifice 
for me. But at the same time, we talked about this yesterday, you have the imputation of his righteousness on us. So justified as a legal imputation, a crediting. Uh, Paul refers to it as an exchange. It's this great exchange, our sin for his righteousness. The next thing that happens is we're adopted. We become co-heirs with Christ. We are children of the King. And so that's just the salvation, this work of God. All of these things happening And you experience it in a moment when you trust in Christ. All of these things that God has done for us happen. Those are considered monergistic, meaning one person, mono. God has done these things for us. Then you get into what theologians call sanctification or synergistic, a cooperative work where God does something and we are agreeing, we are cooperating. Or um, you're going to get into we will grieve the Spirit by not cooperating. We are justified by Christ, by his work, legal standing with him. We are in a sanctification process every single day of our lives. Perseverance, you've heard this term before, that we endure, we persevere through this life faithfully. And then it all culminates in glorification. That day, whether we we, we die and we are absent from the body, present with the Lord, or, or the return of Christ happens, we are in our glorified body, no sin, no suffering, no shame, no no, none of this fallen world anymore. What we were made for, life with God, fully, perfectly, beautifully. So these three things, justification, sanctification, glorification, they define the life of the believer. And so it's important for us as we start to think through and as we look at these four chapters to understand how um, significant it is that we have been called to cooperate with God. So chapter nine. Chapter 9 really is all about the deception of the Gibeonites. Um, God had warned Israel back in Exodus 23:32, don't make any agreements, any alignments, sign any treaties with any people from the land. Um, it's so important that you understand why that's the case. God was very concerned with them that they wouldn't begin to incorporate pieces of the worship or embrace the worship of the people of the land instead of doing what he had created them to do. God warned them, you cannot tolerate, you cannot align with, you cannot leave anyone in the land because that's going to lead to them indoctrinating Israel in the ways of their worship, which is... Uh, exactly why Paul says that we have to be so careful. We have to um, not be conformed to this world. That's what would happen if they tolerated land, but to be renewed by the transforming of our mind, to transform our mind by being renewed by the word. It's such an important process for us, just like it was for them. So I had a goal, uh, I guess, slightly in doing these for Dad, and that was to not have an Andy Griffith illustration for this week. I thought maybe there would be a good detox for us, but I got one for you. Uh, The very first episode of Andy Griffith that opens up with a wedding in the station uh, of uh, what had been Rose, uh, Opie's kind of caretaker. She's getting married and she's leaving. And so what happens is Aunt B is coming to town and she is going to take care of Opie. And if you remember, Rose gets married and Opie's not happy with it. Aunt B shows up and Aunt B comes and she brings a new way 
of life. And Opie wants no part of it. If you remember, she does all of these things differently, including she let Dickie, his pet bird, get out. And Opie wants no part of it. And what we end up seeing, it's kind of the, the resolution at the end, is Opie realizes Aunt B can't play baseball. Aunt B can't catch frogs. Aunt B's not a good Fisher, uh, and then as she's leaving to go away, go back where she had come from, Opie says, she, she can't go. She can't do any of these things. She's not going to be all right on her own. That's the whole point of what's happening here is there was a foreign presence and God didn't want them to be invaded by the ideas, the worship of that foreign presence. It's, it's the phrase that we would call syncretism. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that word, but syncretism is the merging of religious thoughts, the combining of religious thoughts, which is America today. I'll take a little bit of Zen Buddhism, a little bit of Christianity, and a little bit of uh, whatever um, fitness is is hip right now, and I'll kind of combine all of these things. And God says, that is damning. That is dangerous. We have to be so careful that we don't elevate these things to the level of truth that God's word is, that we don't worship in ways that God hasn't given us, created us for, and called us to. And so as we read through this, that's what's happening. The Gibeonites come in and they're deceptive. They put on old tattered clothes and they bring old bread and rotten milk. And they say, we've come from so far away and uh, we, we want, we've heard about God. We want to worship God with you. We want you to sign an agreement with us that you won't kill us. And they deceive the people. And it really is a sad, it's a sad moment in the life and in the leadership of Joshua. When you think about Old Testament characters that kind of are types of Christ, how Joseph is a type of Christ, how he feeds the world, he saves the world. Um, Daniel multiple times saves the world, it seems. Um, Joshua really is this this leader, the one who leads them to take the land, um, their victorious warrior. Um, Joshua really is a type of Christ. And it's a sad moment because we see this righteous man um, completely ignore the Lord's leadership in his life. He never consults the Lord. And it's such a sad um, assessment, a sad moment in his life and in his leadership. And how often are you and I in the same place where we're deceived by by things that we hear. We're deceived by things that we see. We're deceived by the things that we feel instead of um, going to the Word of God, praying, asking for wise counsel in our lives. Um, I, I, back in 2013, Rachel and I bought a home in Jacksonville. And if you've ever been through this process, you have an inspector come out and they are going to check the home and make sure that everything is okay before you pay for this house and to make sure that the bank isn't on the line if it's something wrong dramatically with the home. And when the inspector came and he looked through the house, there were a couple of places that he couldn't access. He couldn't access the attic because there was only one way in through a closet. There was a ton of stuff in the closet and he couldn't access the crawl space um, and so, you know, he signed off on the home and I think it was 18 months later, we realized we had a termite issue. There were some termites that were easily dealt with, but there was termite damage that was, had to be dealt with. And here's the thing. 
Could we have gotten in and, and checked out the crawl space? Probably. Could we have gotten in and checked out the attic? Probably. We were so excited to get this home. When the guy said I couldn't get in there, we just said, okay, we wanted that house. We wanted to move into that house. If you're in Jacksonville, we, we were in Riverside, and we were a block away from Bold Bean Coffee, which was like the promised land to us. We wanted to get into this house. We were okay cutting a few corners here or there. And, and that's what this is about. Israel cut a few corners and it was costly. It was costly for us. Then you have chapter 10. Chapter 10, after they've, they've confessed this, they've dealt with this, they're now moving south, like I said. And what you see, it's really fascinating. In chapter 10, verse 9, look, it says, So Joshua caught them by surprise, these five nations. Now look down to verse 11. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. You see Joshua doing something, you see the Lord doing something, and it leads to victory. It really is this cooperative work. God is calling them. He's going to give them the land, and they're going to follow him and cooperate with him to do that. And there's this miraculous defeat that comes as God sends hailstones down. And this fascinating passage of Joshua sees the victory that's coming for them. And, and, and he realizes the sun is going to go down and the battle's going to stop. They could regather. They could come up with a new strategy. And so he prays and he says, God, would you please give us the amount of time we need to finish what you've called us to do? Cooperative work. And says that, the, that God made the sun stand still. The sun stood still, verse 13, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't it written in the book of Jeshare? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed its setting almost a full day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to a man because the Lord fought for Israel. That cooperative work there. You turn the page, you get to chapter 11, and it's the northern tribes. Again, God calling them in to take the land and them working with the Lord to do what he's called them to do. And then in chapter 12, we're going to get a recap of everything that has happened. Every kingdom they fought against, every king that they have killed in this process. Uh, there's the two, uh, Og and Sihon, east of the river. And then you have these 31 battles of victory. Um, such a powerful testimony to the faithfulness of God that they've taken the land. Now, the book of Joshua is an important book for me. Um, this was what I was reading in my devotional life when God began to call Rachel and I to plant the church in California. It, it was the last book I preached through in Jacksonville. In fact, when I shared with the church in Jacksonville that God was calling us to California, I did that through preaching a Sunday morning and a Sunday night message out of the book of Joshua. And then the way God used it was as I read through this, God showed me how Joshua really parallels the Old Testament or the Old Testament version of the New Testament book of Acts, the taking of the land. The disciples were to go and carry the word out everywhere. And it's this cooperative work that we are going and God is going before us and he's working in us. And this is the life of us as believers. Every day, everything that we do, everything in our life has been designed by God to make us more like him, to spread his name and his glory. We live with tension just like Israel did, where we have to choose, do we obey? Do we seek God or do we sow to our flesh? 
What are we going to do? It's that decision every single day. And this is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he, he warns us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the Spirit inside us to guide us, to equip us, to gift us, to produce fruit in us if we are obeying and seek Him. So I think the question we have to ask today is, is there an area in my life that I'm not cooperating with the Spirit? Is there an area in my life that needs to be addressed, that needs to be pruned to maybe use some of Jesus's language? I grew up wrestling. My brother and I both loved wrestling. Um, I was able to wrestle um, three years in high school, and then I coached wrestling. I refereed wrestling tournaments. And with wrestling, as you'd head into a tournament or match, you have to weigh in. Wrestling is kind of broken up by weight classes. It's uh, one guy who weighs within about five to 10 pounds, what the other guy weighs, seeing who is the better wrestler of the two of them. And so our coaches would do everything that they could to get us prepared for a wrestling match. They would help us to get in shape. I mean, it was nonstop drills, learning how to wrestle, learning moves, learning counter moves, um, learning what do you do in this situation? What do you do in that situation? There was constant cardio so that you would be prepared for that six minutes of an insane, uh, all muscles, all energy, everything you got to make sure we were prepared. We had um, nonstop strength training to make sure that we were stronger than who our opponents were. Our coaches were constantly helping us to learn the, the mental side of wrestling so that you were thinking a, a step ahead, kind of like chess. If my opponent does this, I'm going to do that. And if I do that, then that's going to lead. To, they wanted us mentally prepared and they would do everything to get us prepared, including when we would wrap up wrestling practice, we would have a way out. They wanted to know how much we weighed. And then that gave you whatever your, your, your marching orders were for the evening or for the weekend. Were you underweight? If you were underweight, then you were good to go. You could eat. You could hang out, you could rest, and just prepare for the next match. If you were at weight or overweight, then you had work to do. You had to go home, you had to watch what you ate, you know, small chicken breast, water, no soda, no sweets, you can't eat a bunch of carbs, you had to be careful what you put in your body, and you probably had more cardio that you had to go to. You gotta go run a few miles because you got to lose weight. And so there was this point where our coaches did everything that they could to get us ready to go, and then you would step in and you would step on the scale and they would find out pretty quickly, have you cooperated with your coach? There were regular moments of truth in the life of a wrestler. Have you cooperated with your coach to do what you are called to do? It's the exact same thing for us. Are we cooperating with the Holy Spirit to do what God has made us to do? Or are we deviating to the right or to the left um, this is what Paul's after in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. He says, everyone runs in the race, but I don't want to disqualify myself from the race. I want to make sure that I'm cooperating with my coach, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, to do all that God has made me to do. Jeff Vanderstelt wrote an incredible little book on discipleship called Saturate. It's kind of a, a, a pretty 
color uh, scheme he's got going on here. Here's how Jeff Vanderstelt in his book talks about it. He said, I needed him personally. I needed to believe the gospel for my present, not just for my past or my future. I needed to believe that Jesus is alive and living in me today, able to do all the work he wants to do in me and through me and able to do the work he wants to do through our church family as well. He wasn't asking us to try to be like him without his power and his presence. He was asking us to be like him uh, to let him work in and through us. This is how Jesus' saturation worked. Jesus in you, working through you. It is a cooperative work. Just like Jeff said, it's Jesus in us, with us, through us. So maybe today you just need to be encouraged. Maybe you need to be encouraged that God is with you. He's doing something in your life right now. And let me, let me maybe contextualize it. Maybe God has you quarantined in your home, in your community, because there is work to be done next door to you. Maybe the greatest blessing that we can get out of this season is that God has gotten us out of whatever race we're in to work or school or wherever and has caused us to stop and recognize the people who are around us and begin to speak hope and truth into your life. That's what God wants. He wants to change the world in you and through you. Maybe this morning uh, you need to hear this because you know there's an area in your life that you need to address. There is a sin in the camp, just like Achan, that needs to be unrooted and addressed. Uh, Robbie Zacharias says sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Don't tolerate sin in your life. By grace, address that sin. Joshua 9 through 12 tells us that it is really easy for us to be distracted. It is really easy for us to find other things in our lives that we can tolerate. But it is the call of our life to cooperate with God to grow in him, to make much of him, to take the land with him and for him because he is good and he is gracious. Let me pray for you as you cooperate with the Spirit today. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that, God, you are with us and you are for us. God, we know that you have work for us to do. There is heart work for us to do. There is mental work for us to do. There are things that we need to confess. There are things that we need to put behind us. There are things that need to be brought out and into the open. We want to unroot. We don't want a root of bitterness in our life. We don't want something from the past to dictate the way we live in the present. God, we don't want sin to define our lives. We want grace to define our lives. And we want to live on mission for you. So God, we pray today that you would help us. Give us grace. Allow Joshua 9 through 12 to help us understand how important it is for us to cooperate with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray that this has been an encouragement to you today. Blessings.